0: And Jesus walks to the front of the boat and says peace be still and immediately the winds and the waves die down and they asked the right question didn't they? They said what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? It was a great question because he wasn't just a normal man. He was God in flesh and our Savior the one that we've come to worship today. So we do serve an awesome Savior. Hey, before we get into the Word of God, let's have a word of prayer and talk to our Heavenly Father today. Lord, we love you. You are an awesome God. We know, Lord, you've called us to walk by faith. But all around us, we see your fingerprints. All around us in creation, we know there's a God behind it all. None of this could have happened without you. You are awesome. Lord, I pray that as we open up your Word today, may it speak into our hearts pray that we be changed by it, Lord. And I thank you for all that you have done for us. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we have been in a series entitled Ordinary Superheroes of the Bible. And let me talk about the timeline again, just to review it. Adam and Eve. We talked about Cain and Abel, about Noah, about Tower of Babel, about Abraham, about Isaac, uh, Jacob, Joseph, the man with the coat of many colors, Then we talked about Moses, who freed two million slaves by the power of God. Then Joshua and Caleb, those two faithful spies. Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, who gave her life to the Lord and is in the lineage of Christ. We talked about the two judges, Deborah and Gideon, during the period of the judges. And then Ruth, and then Samuel, this amazing prophet. And then David, the man after God's own heart. And then last week we talked about Solomon and his wisdom, but how he compromised at the end of his reign... And allowed idol worship into the nation of Israel. Which led to a divided kingdom. After Solomon would leave the throne, the kingdom would be divided. And a prophet arose, an amazing prophet of God, by the name of Elijah. And that's the person that we're going to talk about today. This amazing prophet that arrives in Israel during very dark days in the nation of Israel. Let me just kind of go through the major movements, starting with the wandering in the wilderness. After uh, Moses freed them, they went to Mount Sinai. Then for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. Then we talked about the conquest that took seven years. Then the period of the judges, 400 years. Three famous ones, Deborah, Gideon, and Samson. The United Kingdom had three kings. All of them reigned about 40 years, which totals about 120 years. Saul, David, and Solomon. But now we enter into a period known as the divided kingdom. Because when Solomon's son, Rehoboam, takes the throne, he has a question. Solomon had built the temple, he had taxed the people heavily. They had a question that asked, should we raise taxes or lower taxes? Now we don't have to deal with that question today in modern day America. That's not a question we struggle with. But back then, they struggled with this question, do we raise taxes or lower taxes? And uh, Rehoboam's younger advisor said, raise taxes, show them who's in charge. The older advisor said, you know, you need to lower the taxes. They were heavily taxed under Solomon. Give them a break. Well, Rehoboam takes the advice of his younger advisors, raises taxes, and there is a civil war. Just like God predicted, Rehoboam would only keep one tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. That was the only tribe that stayed faithful to the lead tribe of Judah, The other ten tribes would form another kingdom. The northern kingdom, which was referred to from this point on as Israel, the southern kingdom was referred to as Judah. So when you read in your Bibles about Judah and Israel, you'll know Israel is the northern kingdom, Judah is the southern kingdom. And uh, after Solomon, who was a man that uh, we talked about, walked in wisdom, but he compromised, it led to a divided kingdom. Today I want to talk about this overcoming depression, discouragement in our lives. Because Elijah, even though he was a great prophet, and we're going to find out about some of the things that he did. He was a man that also, at one point in his life, struggled with discouragement and depression. And I want to look at the uh, struggle that he had and learn from it. The bottom line is this. Discouragement and depression are struggles that even the great heroes of the faith encountered. Elijah's battle in this area gives us a strategy for overcoming depression when it is present in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, virtually every hero of the faith had a period of discouragement, had a period of depression. And when you look at America today, it's rampant. Our our country is a medicated country. and, And there is plenty of discouragement and depression around us. And even believers at times. Can struggle with it. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to First Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, there should be one nearby. We'd love to open up our Bibles here at Riverview Church. If I was going to define discouragement, it would be this, to lack courage. You can see it right in the word, can't you? Discouragement. Well, what we want to be as believers in Christ and as a church, we want to be encouragers. We want to give courage to people. If you're a husband, you want to encourage your wife. If you're a wife, you want to encourage your husband. If you're a parent, you want to encourage your kids. But there are times when we feel discouraged, to feel deterred and defeated, to be disheartened. And if you're like me, you've had times of discouragement. I I see depression as a longer period of discouragement, a deeper period of discouragement. And in this divided kingdom, there was plenty to be discouraged about. Let me kind of give you an idea of what was happening. The northern tribe of Israel had ten tribes. The southern kingdom had Judah and Benjamin. That's why Paul was so proud to be of the tribe of Benjamin. Remember he says that in the book of Philippians? I am the tribe of Benjamin. Why was that so special? Because that was the one tribe that stayed true to the lead tribe of Judah. And from that point on had special status in the nation of Israel. But in the north, a very sad situation over the next 350 years. A little bit less because the northern kingdom was destroyed earlier. But out of 19 kings, zero followed after God. None of them. And Elijah was mostly a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. You can imagine how discouraging that can be. 19 kings, that's a lousy record, amen. You would never make it into March Madness with a record of zero and 19. Zero wins, 19 losses. That's a terrible record. The southern kingdom, a little bit better, but not much. Of the 20 kings of the southern kingdom, eight of them followed after God. Only eight. Eight for 20. Those are dark days in the nation of Israel. Especially when you consider all that God did for the nation of Israel. All the ways in which he showed himself strong. But they still rebelled against him. And Elijah shows up on the scene during these very dark days. When idol worship was rampant. Baal worship was rampant in the nation of Israel. The northern kingdom. Let me tell you a little bit about Elijah. He lived around 850 BC during the reign of King Ahab and King Ahaziah in the northern kingdom of Israel. He confronts the sins of King Ahab. He has the courage to confront Ahab and his wife Jezebel who was influencing Ahab and the nation to enter into idol worship, especially Baal worship. Ahab had married Jezebel, a daughter of Ethbaal, the king of Tyre. And she brought with her Baal worship. Elijah was a prophet that was used by God in a powerful way. He, he was influenced, uh, uh, Ahab was, by Jezebel. And so Ahab began to worship Baal until Elijah shows up on the scene. Elijah impacted his culture and influenced Israel for centuries to come. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, there were two figures from the Old Testament that showed up with him. Who were those two figures? Moses and... Elijah, exactly. Elijah makes an appearance in the New Testament. He's up there with Moses, a great leader of the faith. Do you remember what Peter said? Lord, it's good for us to be here on this Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah. Good for us to be here. We should build three tabernacles, three memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. As if Peter was saying, hey, Jesus, you're right up there with the big boys. Moses and Elijah. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a little parenthetical statement that says, Peter did not know what he was saying. right? Well, why was God so negative about that? Because here's the reality. Moses and Elijah were people that God used. Jesus is God. Big difference. And a voice speaks out of heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's why we are so centrally focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Elijah makes an appearance with Jesus in the New Testament. He's an amazing biblical figure. In fact, in James 5, it says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Isn't that encouraging? An ordinary superhero of the Old Testament, right? Ordinary person, just like you and me, with a nature like ours, yet he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. The power of prayer by an ordinary person just like you and me. Elijah would have a major confrontation with the prophets of Baal and other idol prophets at Mount Carmel. We're going to talk about some of the things. He prayed for a drought, it came. He was fed by ravens. He had a miracle of flour and oil where it did not end. The supply kept Replenishing, he was raised. uh, He raised the widow's son back to life, kind of miracles that Elijah did Uh, in Samaria. He confronts King Ahab about his sin, and then in Mount Carmel, he says in First Kings chapter eighteen, "Hey, bring all your prophets to Mount Carmel. We're going to have a showdown between your God and the false gods that you worship, and my God." Elijah says. And there was a showdown at Mount Carmel. He prays for fire out of heaven. He defeats the prophets of Baal. He ends the drought. He runs 17 miles to Jezreel. He even beats a chariot after that event. And then flees 90 miles to Beersheba. Why? Because Jezebel threatened his life. He fell into this major discouragement in his life. That's found in 1 Kings chapter 19, and that's what we're going to look at today as he flees from Jezebel. After this amazing victory, he meets 400 prophets of Baal. If you turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, 400 prophets, I'm sorry, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah he meets at Mount Carmel. He calls fire out of heaven, and the false prophets are killed on that day. The people rally around him as fire comes out of heaven and consumes the offering that was there on Mount Carmel. You probably remember the prophets of Baal and Asherah. They were praying, they were cutting themselves. Elijah was mocking them, saying, Pray louder. Maybe your God is entertaining somewhere, Or, or maybe he's relieving himself. Starts mocking the prophets of Baal. And then when Elijah steps up, he has them pour water over the altar, calls fire out of heaven, and the prophets of Baal are killed. And a mini revival happens in Israel. The problem is, Jezebel hated Elijah, threatened his life, and said, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. I'm going to murder you. I'm going I'm to take your life and Elijah runs for his life. He runs from Mount Carmel down to Beersheba and then from there ultimately to Mount Sinai where he has an encounter with the living God. I want to read from chapter 19 verse 1 about Jezebel's threat. Let's read together. It says this, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Elijah, by this time tomorrow you're going to be dead. Then Elijah was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die. Elijah basically becomes suicidal. Lord, take my life. I want to die. Saying, it is enough. O Lord, take away my life. For I am no better than my father's. And he laid down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a head of cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came to him a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God, also known as what mountain? Mount Sinai, right? He goes to Mount Sinai. He has his own 40-day and 40-night experience, his wandering in the desert, if you will, with the struggle that he was experiencing. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I'm going to stop at this point in the passage. Here's the first thing I, I think we can learn. Even though we understand Elijah's fear, right? Jezebel was a powerful woman. King Ahab was a powerful king. Jezebel threatened his life. But he had just won this awesome victory over 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. And yet he ran in fear for his life. Now, I think what the Word of God is telling us here is when struggling emotionally over problems, resist retreating in fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 seven says this, God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear, Fear, exactly. We've not been given a spirit of fear. Why? Because God is with us. Elijah, God just gave you this amazing victory over the false prophets in Israel. A revival happened with the people. And now you're running in fear because of the threat of Jezebel. Elijah, instead of running in fear, have faith in God. No, I'm not saying you don't take wise steps. There were times even Jesus withdrew from the crowd who wanted to kill him, right? Because it wasn't his time. I'm not saying you don't use wisdom in your life, but not to run in fear and say, Lord, take my life. I I want to die. I'm suicidal. He, He goes over the top and falls into this trap of fear. See, when I look at Elijah, I really feel like, the focus that he had was on the intensity of his problems. The intensity of the problem that this powerful queen would have him dead by tomorrow. But I believe when we face our problems, instead of closing up in fear and becoming depressed and discouraged, and we all get it, we, 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 we get there sometimes, but we shouldn't live there in a state of fear and depression. God wants us out of that. See, instead of looking at the intensity of our problems, what Elijah should have done, especially after the experience on Mount Carmel when fire came down of heaven and consumed the altar, he should have focused on the immensity of his God, how powerful his God is. And I know in my own life, that, that's a reminder for me. Now focus on the immensity of your God. There are times when you want to be fearful. There are times when you you fall into discouragement. And you let the circumstances of your life begin to take over your mind and your thinking and your heart. And I know God wants me to draw near to Him. God wants me to worship Him like we talked about last week. Or two weeks ago, I'm sorry. uh, Pulling into worship and worshiping God as we face the struggles. If you read Psalm 73, that's one of my favorite psalms. Asaph is the psalmist. He struggles over the prosperity of the wicked. But then there's an amazing turn in the the psalm after he says, Have I been wasting my time, God? He turns and says, When he goes to the sanctuary of God, that's what makes him a hero. He pulls near to God. He goes to the sanctuary and worships God and says, Who have I in heaven but you, God? There's no one else. You hold me by your right hand, God. He focused on the immensity of his God. And I know in my own life that's, that's an important quality that I need to develop and strengthen to focus on how immense our God is. See, there are a number of factors of depression. Uh, for Elijah, his depression came after a time of intense ministry output. He faced 850 prophets on Mount Carmel calling fire out of heaven. And they were all then killed by the people of Israel when they realized that Elijah was serving the living God. That was an intense ministry output. And sometimes our discouragement and depression can come after intense times of activity in our lives, even ministry activity. After relational conflict between those prophets and himself. After physical exhaustion, he runs 17 miles to Jezreel, then 90 miles to Beersheba, then goes to Mount Sinai, physically exhausted. Here's another factor of depression. Sometimes depression can come after a major victory, after a mountaintop experience. Maybe you've had that spiritual mountaintop experience and afterwards fell into discouragement for whatever reason. Or maybe after a huge disappointment in your life. Maybe a disappointment with how you feel God is operating in your life or in this world. Maybe a major disappointment with another significant person in your life that's let you down, that's hurt you. But in those times, in all of those situations, we ought to be followers of Christ that focus on the immensity of our God, that our God still holds us in His hands And he's working in those problems, in those uh, disappointments, in those hurts, in those struggles to make us stronger. Here's the second thing I want you to know about Elijah and how we can avoid these long periods of discouragement and depression in our lives. When feeling attacked and defeated, reject the tendency to isolate yourself. Do you see what Elijah does? After this amazing victory at Mount Carmel, He leaves his servant and goes off alone and lays under a broom tree somewhere, totally isolating himself from other people around him. And I've met believers like that. Maybe you have as well. Believers that have said, well, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I was hurt in the church, so I don't go to church anymore. I was disappointed by a Christian, so I've left the faith. I was giving blood down at Palomar Medical Center. And, uh, this woman who was taking my blood, I, I just mentioned to her, oh, so where do you live? And oh, do, you, do you go to church? I said to her. She said, no, I don't go to church. I said, well, I'm a pastor. I'd love for you to come to my church. She said this, you know, I was disappointed with the church years ago, so nature is my church, right? I, I don't know if you've heard that, right? Nature, I love just going out in the, the woods, out, outside, just to be with God in nature. And I said, well, you know, that's nice to do that, But that falls short of what God's plan is for you. Because God says in Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembling of yourself together with other believers. That there's an encouragement that comes with that. And I said, by the way, besides being a very gifted phlebotomist taking my blood, you have other gifts as well. God's given you gifts and abilities. And those gifts and abilities have been given to you to serve others in the church. And she said, well, I just want you to know God and me, we're on good terms. (laughs) And I said, well, I understand. But as a pastor, I have to tell you that the Bible wants you to use your gifts and abilities for Him in a body of believers called the church. And uh, you're always invited. But the tendency for people to isolate themselves, to isolate themselves from others when they're feeling disappointed and discouraged See, the the amazing thing about God is God meets him right in that isolation. Even though he's running from other people, he's running from Jezebel, he leaves his servant, goes off alone, totally isolating himself. God met him right where he was at. And he wasn't at a good place, but God still met him there. And here's my responsibility in that meeting that God has with me, right? I need to receive that intervention. When God meets me and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? That was a great question. What's the purpose of your being here? Why have you isolated yourself like this? And Elijah thinks that he's alone, right? He has this really negative perspective. He says, you know, I alone am left. This is what he says in verse 10. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, back in chapter 19. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets in the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, that wasn't accurate. See, when you fall into a period of discouragement, you start saying these really negative things that aren't really true. You start thinking these negative thoughts about God and about you and about others that are not really true. In fact, the people of Israel had just killed 850 false prophets. In fact, God would later say to him these very words. He would say, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, just in the northern kingdom, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God was in essence saying, hey, Elijah, you're not alone. There's 7,000 others who've not done what you've not done. You've not served Baal. You've not kissed his his statue. You're not serving Baal. There's 7,000 others just like you. And so many times, my friends, I want to tell you, we can tell ourselves lies and build this perspective that is not accurate because we've fallen into this discouragement and depression. And what God wants us to do is like the old hymn says, to count our blessings, to count the blessings that we have in our lives, to realize first and foremost, above all else, we are adopted into the family of God. We are a child of the living God and that our eternity is secure in him with that alone we should be able to march through our times of discouragement step by step, walk of faith, trusting God. I'm not going to start thinking negative thoughts, destructive thoughts about God or about me or about others. And by the way, you're not alone. And by the way, you're not the only person that's gone through discouragement and depression. Every person here, my guess would be, has gone through a time of depression and discouragement in their lives. You're not alone in that. That's why here at the church you can take off your masks and be real. There have been times in my life I've been depressed and discouraged. And yet God is a faithful God who met me in that deep, dark time in my life, those times in my life, and was willing to pull me out by His love and by His truth and by the good news that He wanted to pour into my life. Hey, Elijah, there's 7,000 others just like you. And by the way, Elijah, I still have ministry for you to do. The, The job I have for you is not done yet. Here's another thing I see in the text from chapter 19. When feeling emotionally drained, Identify potential physical causes. Do you know what the angel does when the angel comes to Elijah in this passage? He's under a broom tree. The first thing the angel says is he doesn't say, Elijah, what is wrong with you, man? What is up with you? You are such a loser. You just had this amazing victory and now you're running scared from Jezebel? He doesn't say that. What he says is this. The angel touched him and said, this is verse 5, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake. Cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. A cake baked by God. That must have been an amazing cake. Amen? Wow, that would have won any cake contest. See, what the angel does is realize there are physical causes for Elijah's depression. He's been running for a period of time, exhausted. And God meets him in that physical exhaustion, right where he's at. He says, hey, hey, Elijah, you need to eat. Arise and eat. And I want to tell you, there are times in my life when I have been, and it happens fairly often, there'll be days when I'm like, "Why do you feel discouraged today. Oh, yeah, because I was burning the midnight oil last night and got up early this morning and I'm feeling physically drained. That's why I'm emotionally discouraged today. What I need more than anything is, yes, to turn to God and to trust in Him, but to have a good night's sleep and take care of myself. And I would challenge each of you to do that. That's exactly what God does with Elijah. Elijah, you need to eat this. You're exhausted. You're laying here wanting to die because you are totally exhausted. And it's a slippery slope downward, isn't it, in our lives? When you think about depression and discouragement, see what happens is we lose our biblical perspective. We think we're alone. We think God can't use us. We don't think we're making an impact. We don't think we have the potential to make an impact. We, we fall into this distraction and deception. And I, I gave you this on the notes, this, this downward spiral. Then he focuses on his problems. They're out to kill me, God. Jezebel's going to take my life. Then he begins to get negative, all this self-talk, discontentment about life. Then he isolates himself from other believers. It's so sad when that happens. See, it's when we feel like isolating, it's then that we need the church the most. When we feel like pulling away, it's then that we need to connect the most with other believers. That's why we have home groups for you to connect with. That's why we have Bible studies, not only to get into the Word of God and be fed by the Word of God, but to connect with other believers to find strength in those relationships, not to dismember yourself from the body of Christ. And he feels defeated in the struggle. He's discouraged. And then beyond that, he believes there's no hope. God, take my life. Utter despair. It's this slippery slope downwards. And yet God wants to take us out of that. And as we pull close to God and as we hear the truth of God in our lives, that needs to overcome any negative talk, any negative self-talk, any negative attacks about God or about others. And that leads me to point four. It's this. When tempted to complain, stay committed to God's objective truth. When tempted to complain about various things going on in your life, to fall into this complaining, negative, angry Uh, could be even wrathful attitude towards God and others, dwell on God's objective truth, who God is, why you're here, the fact that you live in a sinful world that can be discouraging. But the fact is God told us to fear not that he is with us, that he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. And there are people that fall into this negative habit of complaining about God and who God is and getting into a boxing match with God. And I tell people all the time, your arms are way too short to get into a boxing match with God. There are so many issues that uh, in my life over the years that I have struggled with, yet the bottom line that I arrive at is, God, I still trust you. I don't fully understand why this happened or why that happened or why I'm feeling this way. But God, I still trust you still trust you. I think I've said this before. I know so often in my heart and in my mind, I'm driven back to the foot of the cross and say, God, I don't always understand the circumstances of this world and my life, but I do understand this, that you gave your life on the cross to free me from the pain of this world, to free me from the rebellion of this world, to adopt me into your family. And this amazing, powerful demonstration of love overpowers me. Beyond complaining about God, sometimes we complain about others like Elijah did. Hey, I'm the only one left. Everyone else, they're unfaithful, God. I'm the last one. That's not true, Elijah. 7,000 others just in Israel that have not bowed to Baal. 7,000 just like you. And then we often complain about ourselves. I can't do it. I can't make a difference. God can't use me. I failed in the past, I can't can't enter into ministry again, I've got to just stay by myself and isolate. See, that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to have this negative self-talk, this destructive self-talk that pulls you down into the pit. When God wants to lift you up, God wants to use you, God wants you to experience the amazing joy of knowing Him and serving Him. And I, I know that every one of you. There have been things that I've loved in my life. I remember in high school, I, I, I loved sports, right? I, that was my thing. And my youth pastor confronted me and said, "Mel, if you love God as much as you love sports, you'd be a totally different person." And he confronted me about it. And you know, he, that, that's when he said, "I wanted you to be a discipler of of the freshman guys." And you know, when I started doing ministry, I was like, "Wow, I kind of love this more than sports." Seeing lives changed, God began to give me another passion. He had to do a big work in my life and still is. But he can do that in you as well. As you see your gifts and abilities being used for him in various ways, maybe you start small, but you start to see God use you. And all of a sudden, you're part of something so much bigger than yourself. You're part of building the kingdom of God that you know down deep will last forever and ever. Don't complain about yourself. Don't believe the lies of Satan. Satan who wants to marginalize you and put you in a corner somewhere and keep you there when God wants you to use your gifts and abilities for him, wherever he puts you. Here's point number five, it's this, we're running out of time. When facing your struggle, recommit to God's purpose, the why for your life. You know, after he goes to Mount Sinai, right, he takes this trip to the the Mount of God, Uh, Verse 11 says this, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains. We read this verse about four four or five weeks ago. And broke it into pieces, the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a what? A low whisper. When we talked about how does God speak to us in our lives? It was in a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, the voice came to him again and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he says it again, I've been very jealous for the Lord God, the host, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets and the sword. And even I, only I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. See, I believe God took him from Beersheba to Mount Sinai, for him to remember the awesome works of his God. And he asked the same question after all of that demonstration of earthquake and wind and fire. But he was in this low whisper. And he asked the same question. I believe he was expecting Elijah to give a different answer. But he didn't. Elijah was still in a bad place. Elijah, what are you doing here? This is not the purpose I have for you. Why are you here? And he falls into this negative talk. I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the people who have forsaken your covenant. I, only I, am left. He falls into despair. We talked about Paul having that time of despair as well. It's not uncommon. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 1. For we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And we felt we'd received the sentence of death. But, I love the buts of the Bible, don't you? But, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. See, God was going to meet Elijah right where he was at. Elijah, what are you doing here? This is not where you need to be. I love the words of Philippians 4. It says this, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See those moments of discouragement, anxiety, whatever it is, go to God. Present your request to God. Present your struggle to God, and the peace of God will meet you where you are at. You know, uh, God kind of ignores... Elijah's come, and I alone am left. No one else is left. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shabbat of Abel, Meulah, shall you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Elijah, go. I still have work for you to do. I still have work for you to do. And here's the last principle is this. When seeking to overcome depression, remember the power of serving the Lord and others. I want to tell you, if you're struggling with depression and discouragement, do what I do quite often. When I go and visit people in hospitals, in intensive care units, in severely uh, difficult units in the hospital, and you walk down the hall and room after room, You see people who are in dire need. And you know what? When you begin to serve people who are in dire need, who have struggles in their lives, all of a sudden you begin to realize, yeah, God can still use me. God can still pull me out of my struggle. And my problems aren't as bad as some of these people around me. And I can serve them and make a difference in their lives. God told uh, uh, Elijah, I still have work for you to do. You're not going to sit here anymore and feel sorry for yourself. Go out and serve me. I have a job for you to do. You shall anoint Hazael to be the king. I'm going to have you anoint a king. I'm going to have you anoint another king, king over Israel. I'm going to have you anoint another prophet that's going to take your place when your job is done. And I want to challenge you, church, as you draw near to God focus on the objective truth of God, that God is with you, that God holds you in His hands, that God has an amazing future for you. And one step at a time, continue to serve Him. Don't isolate yourself. Continue to serve the Lord, because God can use you, not because of your amazing power and ability, but because we serve an extraordinary God who meets ordinary people like me and you and chooses to use us to make a difference. That's my prayer for Riverview, that in little ways, as you disseminate and go out into the community, that you would be this amazing light, that in spite of the struggles and problems that hit your life, just like they do others, you live differently. You trust in God. You continue walking by faith. And yes, we'll all have those brief periods of discouragement and depression, but we're not to live there. We're not to stay there. We're not to isolate ourselves. But to believe in our hearts that we serve the living and almighty God of this universe that has your life in his hands. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the honesty of the Bible. Uh, If this was just a PR piece, a public relation piece, this story about Elijah wanting to die would have never made it in the Bible. But God, your Holy Spirit directed this story to be here for a reason because all of us struggle at times with discouragement. I pray, God, that every one of us would know deep down in our hearts that you are with us. You live inside of us. You challenge us to walk by faith, but we have this great hope backed up by the death and resurrection, Father, of your Son, Jesus Christ. And our hearts believe today. We believe you, Lord. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all stand and sing this song. Put your hand in the hand of the man Who's still the water Put your hand in the hand of the man